Well hello there, we're fueled up on melted cheese and we're back for the first time in months, uh, you're back with the Monkey See Monkey Review podcast. Uh, somewhere down the other end of the phone line I have the very handsome Mr Christopher Commander joining me. Oh, hello. Hello. And how are you? And sir? opposite me, I'm very well, I'm ve- I, you know what, it's been a crazy, uh, it's been a crazy time, all yes. this spooktober's happened and we've got through that and... All of the jazz that's happened. And of course, opposite me is the ever-bewitching Scott Harrison. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I, I like how you went for the uh, the slightly spooky theme you. there. Thank you. And I, I do believe I can hear some breathing <gasps> on the line. Is there somebody I, I else there? That sounded very... What an introduction that was. Yes, <laughs> uh, it, it is I, breathing on the line. Hello, Shall so I say- just, to, just to introduce uh, dear listeners, uh, I'd like to introduce you to the fantastic Mr. Kevin Haney, formerly of the Screen 3 pro- podcast, uh, and he is uh, joining the MSMR family as, uh, as a sometime contributor, so welcome Kevin, it is brilliant to have you on board. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on there. Uh, you're right, yeah, from, formerly from Screen 3. I've not done a, uh, a movie-related podcast since 2015. I think the last film I reviewed on a podcast was Avengers Age of Ultron. Wow. So that's, Oh, you've just dated yourself there. So that's how long it's been. <laughs> <laughs> which, which we went to see together, no less. Yes, we did. We went to see it um, at uh, about three o'clock in the morning at the BFI IMAX in Waterloo. And uh, I remember you fell asleep about half an hour prior to the film starting. I didn't I... think you'd make it. And I bet you... Wow, our, our special guest has thrown you under the bus. Well, yeah. I, I needed it. And I, I, I stayed awake throughout <laughs> the whole film. And it's, it's the only time I've walked into a cinema when it was dark and walked out when it was light. Yes, I, I bet now you probably wish that you'd uh, stayed asleep. Well, you see, I, 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 I don't mind Age of Ultron. I think it's, I think it has its plus points. I don't. Think Hello, folks. A... That's how I do it. That's how I do it. That's the type of guy I am. I, 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 I cause it as I sees it. Actually, yeah. in fact, I, I don't usually cause it as I sees it. I'm usually quite respectful of films. And to be honest, everybody does a good job when they make films. No one sets out to make a bad film. So you know, which oh, we have so. said many a time. Yes, on this yeah. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I uh, see. He's already one of us. Indeed. Yes. I do. I know. I do actually like Age of Ultron, but it's, of course, no one can deny it's the it's the weakest of the Avenger films. Absolutely, I, I don't. I don't dispute that with you at all. And what I wouldn't give to uh, to be going back to those heady days when you could sit in a room with hundreds of other people and oh, uh, I know. And, and watch a movie. Uh, yeah, or, or breathe in each other's air. I know. <laughs> it was, I know. It was, but we will. Uh, it was cleaner air back. That. It was cleaner air back then. <laughs> It, it was, was cleaner air. Yeah, <laughs> we will uh, We will definitely touch upon that later on. So, uh, yes, welcome everyone. Thank you for joining us once again. We know we have a very irregular upload schedule, um, but that's due to how the world is and how, how we are as people. And uh, so, yeah, we are going to start today with Scott talking about Get Duped. So, Scott, take it away. Yes. So, uh, obviously, as we've been in uh, lockdown situations and social distancing situations for the last few months, I've been trying to inhale as much kind of streaming-based, uh, streaming-released movies as possible. And one absolute little gem that uh, I discovered not too long ago, a couple of months ago, and it's it's still out there on Amazon Prime at the moment, uh, was Ninian Dorff's 
2019 Get Duked. The basic premise, not to give too much away, is four young lads, four teenage lads, are sent out into the Scottish Highlands on their Duke of Edinburgh. Three of them are doing so out of detention. One of them is actually doing it because he wants to do it. And they, they find themselves on the moors being hunted by an unknown assailant. I think what really kind of sets this apart, it's got a really warm, incredibly, incredibly silly sense of humour running through it. It's it's mostly, you know, the the, the four young central characters, they're, they're all unknowns at the moment, but they're all really good, really, really great performers. To, uh, ably supported by, uh, such as uh, the likes of Eddie Izzard, uh, Kate Dickey, Alice Lowe, who's great, and Jonathan Harris as, as some of the adult roles around them. Uh, Eddie Izzard playing a rather creepy Highland landowner that appears to be hunting the four young lads. But it's just got this really thick streak of just daft, brilliant humour all the way through it. There are there are a number of times it does go in sort of peaks and troughs. It you know the pacing does drop at points, but when the jokes land, they are they belly laugh good. They're there are a couple of running gags, uh, one particularly involving a, uh, a a minibus, a runaway minibus, and it's it, it's just a thing of beauty. Some of the dialogue is is excellent as well, and uh, yeah, it's it's just a really is a really nicely put together, really fun hour and a half of anybody's time if if that's what you're looking for. And I gotta give a shout out as well to Ninian Dorf as the director because you know really puts a lot of visual flair and a lot of verve into it as well there's there's some really nice little tricksy moments uh little little bits of camera trickery but yeah i, I heartily recommend it it's not challenging but it is a, a point incredibly funny and just you know a really likable bit of fun it sounds like just the sort of film that everyone sort of needs right now I, it really is it really is it's uh, yeah um i because I... we had talked about we had talked about the the peanut butter falcon yeah. last time yeah and i watched that and i i needed that yeah. in my life yeah so a good hearty laugh Abs- is absolutely welcome i wouldn't i wouldn't put get duked on the same same level as the peanut butter falcon because i am I, i'm just such a huge fan of that film i just find it absolutely absolutely lovely and and life affirming but uh, you know what get duked has got is some really great belly laughs uh and just yeah enormous fun yeah well it sounds it, it sounds like get duke's target isn't isn't the uh the kind of like the the moving gland is it <laughs> the moving gland i don't know <laughs> no well, there we go yeah it isn't isn't that type of target is it so yeah, obviously no, it's kind of yeah <laughs> both yeah. both great films in fact a, a nice little sort of double bill of some silly some real feel good uh, yeah. yeah, definitely. Oh, good. Yeah, I might check that out then. So that's on Amazon, you say? It is on Amazon Prime. Uh, so yes, yeah, so it's uh, uh, it's it's well worth checking out. Was it? Do you know off the top of your head if that was worth it? If it was initially going to get a cinematic release? It was. It was. So it was. I believe shown at a couple of film festivals last year uh, in 2019, and and Amazon 
snapped it up from what I can understand. So and it's nice that it's been able to do that because it's the type of film that might have sort of slipped through the cracks a little bit. But, yeah, or, uh, or maybe just not. It, it might have benefited from being released in this little interim that we've, or the, the interim that we just had. Yeah. Uh, very similar to Pixie, which opened recently, didn't it? And that got kind of like at least two, well, got about two weekends worth of box office before we locked down. Yeah, and it's a shame because uh, again, that that's that's one that. Um, I've seen the trailers for it. It looks looks quite entertaining. It looks like that sort of uh, little confectionery that we we need at the moment. So hopefully that won't be long for for streaming services. Yeah. So check that out on Amazon. Now moving moving on, change of topic and uh, genre. We're moving mm. on to the trial of the Chicago Seven. Oh. The uh, the film released this year, directed by Aaron Sorkin, and. Uh, I, w- I will leave it to you guys to talk about. Wait, well, it's been written by Aaron Sorkin as well, and it's yeah. always exciting when an Aaron Sorkin screenplay gets back out there. I think he just um, did a stage adaptation, didn't he, of one... F- uh, no, uh, b- b- To Kill a Mockingbird with Jeff Daniels on Broadway. So he was kind mm. of pumped up and hyped up, and he went to... Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of people have said that in the past that Aaron Sorkin's taken a few liberties with history mm. um, in the sense of, uh, say, Steve Jobs, for example, is a nice example of uh, him taking an idea making it more dramatic than may have actually occurred but it seems to be from the research that i did after watching the trial of the chicago seven on netflix uh was that uh, he seemed to have stayed pretty much to kind of how things played out and i suppose in this instance it's uh, probably out of respect more than anything yeah absolutely and uh, as you'd expect from a sorkin script it is uh, kind of cutting edge sharp it's so very very cleverly written so wittily written and you know absolutely engrossing yeah for those that don't know obviously the trial of the chicago seven is actually the 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 seven people seven in kind of like inverted commas because obviously there's a little bit more to it than that not to give any spoilers uh that uh it was their trial wasn't it stemming from the charges surrounding the uprising i think it was during the democratic national convention in chicago it was the 1968 1968 yeah. yeah and uh yeah so it kind of went out there but i think this is Aaron Sorkin's first film since I'm trying to think the, his directorial debut was, um, yeah, was Molly's, Molly's Game, Game yeah, Molly's yeah Game, which, which was wonderful yeah. and again that was slightly more sensational but essentially he based it on the book anyway didn't he and, yeah. uh, it, and made it more sensational than the book was and the book was quite sensational as well mm-hmm. but yeah it's, it, it's really well I mean it, it's kind of like powerful to see someone that can usually sensationalise stuff and I don't mean that in a bad way at all but I mean sensationalise stuff make it more exciting and more dramatic than it needs to be but then actually take kind of like the subject matter um, of you know of, of this historical event and actually with respect still make an exciting engaging piece of drama but also as well it's a really a really kind of gut-wrenching difficult piece of drama to watch at times as well because um, again not to not to go so too deeply into into spoiler territory i know this is this is kind of out there in the public domain but um yeah i i, I think the way the, the trial progresses and the, the the genesis of where the trial came from it creates a real sort of tension within that and, and again it almost sort of raises the stakes that little bit more yeah i think historically people know how it plays out it's just yeah. the way it plays out and the outrage yeah. and i found myself getting visibly angry at a, a tremendous performance from uh, frank langella yeah um which was absolutely terrific in what he was doing as he played the judge yeah. uh, and with some of the things that were going on in it you're kind of like i cannot believe that that happened and you have to like really equate yourself to the fact that oh well yeah of course that would have happened it was 1968 for god's sake yeah. even though it's obviously mm. very contemporary 
in relation to its subject matter, you know, and everything that's kind of going on nowadays. But what a cast, just to do a little yeah. shout out there. you got Eddie Redmayne, you got Sasha Baron Cohen as well, mm-hmm. Jeremy Strong, Mark Rylance, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I mean, the list does go on, and there's lots yeah. of people in there that you're like, oh, yes, I've seen them in other things, and this is the uh, it's obviously the film that people were talking Oscar, I mean, early Oscar buzz for it as well. Yeah, Even a little yeah. appearance from Michael Keaton. Always good yes. to see Michael. It's oh, Yeah, it's always great, and... Uh, it's a great cameo as well, um, but yeah, I got to echo what Kev said about the the cast and the casting and the performances. There's a lot of really really great actors. I'm big big fan of Mark Rylance, big fan of Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Well, I see. Like, yeah, as you were saying about Mark Rylance, it's it's very rare, or it used to be very rare, that you'd actually come out and make feature films, wasn't it? Yeah. And sure. it's obviously, but I think it was a relationship. I think this was a property originally with Spielberg, wasn't yeah. it? So I think that was obviously yeah. something that probably enticed him to it too. Yeah, definitely. He's, he's something of a Spielberg muse. With you know, the BFG and uh, British Spies and uh, uh, Ready Player One, and, uh, yeah, always, mm. always worth the uh, the entrance fee. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> yeah, so Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, he's, I mean, to be honest, Aaron Sorkin is probably one of my favourite, if not my favourite, screenwriter working today. Yeah. I mean, Moneyball. How can a man make a film out of it? Like, you know, writing for a, a sports statistics book turns it into an engaging and exciting film. Like, you know what? I'm, the social social network. I remember when someone said they were making the face yeah. the, the Facebook movie. Everyone was like, "How are they going to do that?" Yeah. Two of my favourite films, right there. I'm going to happily steer us into a, a really quick. Moneyball tangent because um, nice. I, I I've got to, I've got to back Kevin on this one because during these socially distanced times I took the opportunity to to rewatch Moneyball again and it's still just an absolutely joyous piece of filmmaking. It's it's available on Netflix at the moment and if it's if it's something you've not seen I really really cannot recommend it enough. It's uh, it's just so watch anybody that can make an entertaining life-affirming film out of baseball statistics is clearly <laughs> an absolute genius that's a quite a phrase <laughs> so, for moneyball yeah yeah sorkin's definitely a man that gets on base nice. <laughs> there we go <laughs> and you can watch those two in tandem with each other because the trial of chicago 7 is also on netflix yes yeah that's great yeah it's, it, i mean so he's moneyball's on netflix is it it is yeah oh wonderful and then social and social network i think it's been and gone but it's, it's certainly readily available on many other streaming services yeah, absolutely <clears throat> so coming off the tale of the trial of the chicago 7 nice. Uh, one of thank you very much. One of the actors who appeared in that film was the ever-changing and surprising Sasha Baron Cohen. So let's talk a little bit about the new Borat film, the Borat subsequent movie film, and the crazy long title that goes with that. Yeah. So Kev, this is I, one that you've checked out, I believe. Indeed, I have. Yeah, back in two thousand and six, uh, obviously Borat hit the the big screen. Um, after the kind of like I'd say underrated but I can see why Ali G movie <laughs> everyone thought Sasha Baron Cohen wasn't really you know set for the big screen so uh, he sort of like started <laughs> to integrate himself into America working with the wonderful Larry Charles at the time um, who you might know from kind of like you know many comedies and Curb Your Enthusiasm kind yeah. of being one of them and uh, yeah he bought what was I assumed at the time a one-time deal because in 
creating the Sasha, um, sorry, in Sasha Baron Cohen creating the Borat character and putting him on the big screen, he then inadvertently became probably one of the most recognised characters sure. <laughs> in popular culture. So I think we all enjoyed it at the time. I myself was at the premiere at the London Film Festival. I remember um, seeing that. Lots of fun to be had. And I think all of us, Sasha Baron Cohen included, thought, well, this is a one-time deal because I'm never going to be able to do this again because of the, uh, you know, because simply put, this character's, you know, the most popular pop culture icon at the moment. So, and even he said, even he said that he was retiring that character yeah. after that, anyway. Yeah, and I think with everything that's going on in the United States at the moment, it was a case of uh, the world needed another Borat movie before the election, <laughs> and that's what he wanted to do. And apparently, Sasha Baron Cohen insisted. I think it was initially going to get a cinematic release, and then obviously with cinemas closing and everything that was going on, he insisted that it was up online and available for people to view prior to the election. Um, ah. the US election so um, he's a very smart man he is a very smart man yes and uh, yeah let's say so I, you know I'll start Scott you've seen this too yeah I've, I haven't yet had the opportunity to see Borat but I, I kind of want to weigh in at the end with a little bit of sort of the, the memory of my kind of interrogate you a little bit about it um, and sort of the differences between watching a Borat film sort of in that shared experience and, and watching it okay. on, on, on streaming so yeah okay well I'll, I'll kind of sort of break it down then and essentially uh, this is more of a well-rounded movie this has got more of a kind of like a narrative running through it it's not just a series of sketches but the sketches that are in it are a little bit bolder a little bit more kind of you know how he got into some of these places uh, I mean you've probably seen online the Rudy Giuliani stuff and everything like that and it boggles mm-hmm. the mind to even think that he'd be able to get into the places that he manages to get into, especially being <laughs> as recognised as he is. But a lot of that is due to the wonderful Maria Bakalova, um, who plays his daughter in it, and she is exceptional. Now, it's again, I think Sasha Baron Cohen was actually saying that he's going to tout her for an Oscar um, because this character is something else. I mean, basically, to keep up with Sasha Baron Cohen, um, I can imagine, is a hell of an ask and a hell of a gamble if you've only got one shot with each of these kind of you know figures of ridicule that he wants to kind of like put in place and i think that the 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 narrative of the film the relationship between borat and his daughter is kind of heartwarming but i would say is is if you're expecting borat too in the sense of all of the stuff you felt all of the excitement and the new surprises that you've got with watching the first borat film you get that in a more diluted thing and i think it's not borat but it's as close as we could have got and certainly more ambitious and more successful than i would have assumed it was going to be so i think when someone said because he kept this on the down low when he was filming it obviously um and i think i saw a couple of tweets online about oh here he i've seen him oh he's, there he is i've seen him out on you know walking the streets of los angeles and there were a couple of skits where obviously he's doing it with um, so you know, w- with the general public, so obviously that stuff's kind of leaked online and everything. So word got out towards the end of production that there was going to be another Borat film, but I don't think anyone was. I, I certainly looked at that and thought, well, it's okay because surely it can't work out the same as you know, it can't work the same sure. way the original Borat film did. Uh, but it does. But yeah, that's to say the you know the stunts are as ambitious, but more diluted in the sense of they're kind of you you, you see the highlights. I mean, the film's quite sleek. I think it's like an hour and thirty five minutes. Yeah. Uh, and when you think about it, there's one sequence in it when he's um, with a couple of uh, residents in the U- in the US when they're in lockdown, and apparently he actually spent three days in character living with these people. <laughs> wow! And you Sounds get good. so you obviously 
you've got to admire his commitment to it but then you'll see the highlights of this and you have to watch them and you and you go i can't believe they would have said that no as before <laughs> surely they didn't say no they wouldn't believe that but then you have to believe that what we're seeing is essentially the moment people crack or the moment they say something foolish we're not getting the lead up which i can imagine sure. is as entertaining sure. but probably not as engaging as that so when you watch it you have to suspend disbelief a little bit and go oh okay i see we're seeing we're seeing the kind of end result of a three days work of consistent improvisation yeah. in character you know there, there are some um great cameos in it as well um not to ruin it for anybody so obviously i'm not going to do that um but i would say is it's as good a borat sequel as we could have expected yeah. um better than i would have predicted um and as great as sasha baron cohen is i think maria bakalova as tutor that's the name of his daughter um she steals the film and deserves all the accolades that will be coming her way and uh, she was an actress before she'd been in a couple of little films but not uh, uh, not enough for her to be recognized when, when they were playing these you know the practical jokes i can call them practical jokes and then when they were doing these sequences that exposed the worst parts of america <laughs> and and in fact the nice parts of america as well because there are some characters in it that uh, it goes completely the other way and you actually see the best of people as opposed to the worst of people as well i mean that was what the original borat film was like it was just <laughs> ghoul after ghoul of yeah. like horrible opinions <laughs> and everything like that whereas with this one you do get a respite with some people that actually go the completely other way and you go oh actually you know what maybe uh, the world's not going to hell <laughs> i don't know say that but it's good i would say I, I would certainly recommend it it uh but you don't expect to be laughing as much as the first one but expect to be thinking more that's that's Ooh. the big thing about about the first one, um, and it's it goes back to the. We know I'm a big fan of the shared movie experience. Is the first Borat film? I genuinely hurt from laughter. Uh, it, I I spent a good proportion, particularly particularly in kind of the first couple of thirds of the film, pretty much doubled over out of disbelief more than anything um and having that in in that uh, sort of packed cinema experience to be watching it sort of one-to-one with the screen uh you you're not going to be swept away by that um by that hilarity of it i guess with this but i think the fact that we've gone from having uh you know the news that they're they're making a borat film to literally in a space of weeks we've got a borat film i think it's a it's phenomenal really the i think um also in a way as well i think the choice obviously if you had the choice to see this on the big screen you would do but the fact that you're not being given that choice might actually make for it being less uncomfortable because i can sit at home in my front room and laugh at what i need to laugh at whereas i can imagine in the current climate because back then things weren't quite as you know heightened as they are now both in the uk and the us and i can imagine there'd be audiences that would go and see this in the cinema and things that might have been laughed at might expose something in somebody that you might not want to see um (laughs) when you're sitting once you're munching your popcorn as well so i would say that i probably would have felt as i did when i watched the first one there were moments of that where i was like shall i laugh i don't know can i laugh am i able to laugh at that uh whereas i laughed you know as much as i wanted to with this one and felt quite happy with it excellent that's interesting that's great uh and you can find that on amazon prime video so as you'll notice from a bit of a theme with the reviews uh from this episode is they've got all a bit of a a bit of a streaming bent to them as we're back in a lockdown scenario and uh cinemas have once again closed so I wanted to have a bit of a, a chat with you, fine gentlemen, about the whole cinema versus streaming uh, issue at the moment because we're having lots of films sort of being moved back or moved into next year uh, or being sold to streaming services. Uh, I know particularly 007 himself was being blamed for the closure of Cineworld after they shunted uh, No Time to Die 
back to April next year. Uh, clearly foreseeing another lockdown scenario. Uh, so Bond. Yeah, I think I saw a tweet today about the Bond producers pretty much know more about the uh, potential lockdown situations than the government do. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the prophecy has come true. <laughs> So, yeah, the, so there are a, norm, a number of films that are either being moved to next year or being touted for potential streaming. I think, obviously, the, the, the biggest kind of test case scenario with, with that was uh, with a Disney Plus and the Mulan experience. Uh, experience? Experiment. We'll go with experiment. Uh, earlier in the summer when... It was an experience, It was an experience. Was. I'm sure yes. it was. When they shunted uh, Mulan from a prime cinema release uh, straight onto their Disney Plus streaming service, but uh, paying, uh, you know, in the UK, a £20 premium on top of the... Uh, the monthly subscription to, to get uh, three or four months early access to Mulan before it's added to the, the streaming service under its normal package. So, so I have a question yes. about that. Did you have to pay the twenty pounds on top of your existing? Yes, that's correct. Disney Plus. Yes. yes, you did. But it's just recently, in the last two weeks, it's now become normal streaming. So it's on other services with, that you don't have to subscribe to. Yeah. Oh, how cheeky. Well, I guess they wanted to have their period of, of, of exclusivity. They, sure, yeah. they wanted to try and get kind of uh, ticket sales is basically what it was, yeah. really, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah I think they were, they, they were stuck between a rock and a hard place in that situation, I think, because I think it's the case of it costs... And it was their tentpole movie of this year. It was supposed to be the sure. biggest the, the sure. biggest Disney property of this year that was going to be released. And I think that, yeah. that they were kind of like, well, what do we do? And as much as I can say... I mean, to be honest, it's going to appear on Disney Plus for free at Christmas anyway, and they could have just as easily have just left it till then, but they've given people the opportunity, premier access they call it, mm-hmm. uh, to do that. And it's uh, But they have said that they'll take the learnings from it, but they do not plan to do this consistently. Yeah, and that's interesting. Yeah. And it's, it's also interesting because uh, although the rumours have, have slightly been debunked as soon as they, they came up in the last in the last week or so, that there was uh, talk of the Bond producers, Eon, uh, an MGM looking to, I, I think that's correct, uh, looking to potentially sell the rights to, to streaming service for an eye-watering six hundred and fifty million dollars. Good yes. lord! Um, See, I, I, I think the thing, the thing with that though is it's, it's kind of that that is an active decision for profit. Yeah. The thing is with Disney, Disney when they were making it with um, Mulan and everything, they had their release, they had their calendar, they had their interview reports. They've got a lot of stakeholders mm-hmm. and everything. Whereas it was my understanding, I think I sort of read this on another couple of websites, that Bond's essentially sitting on a shelf waiting to be released, and at the yeah. moment, no one's waiting for any kind of like return or anything on it yeah. that they're owed. There's no studios because it was, you know, it wasn't lots of different studios that kind of had their, you know, the, the, they're waiting for their return or they're going to go bust or anything. So Bond sure. can be just re- Aston Martin. Yeah, <laughs> Bond can be released at the time, but essentially they want to release Bond at the time it's going to make the most profit. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that at the moment they will see, even if they released it next April, I think we can all see the way things are going at the moment. There's not going to be a return to cinemas probably for the next two, maybe even three years before they get to the standards that it would have made, what it would have made had it have been released under normal circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. Getting to getting to Skyfall levels, you won't you won't see that where it's yeah. making over a billion dollars. You know, I should put out that that was literally just a rumor, but it's uh, that there have been sort of rumors bubbling around about a few of the major tentpole releases being moved to to streaming services. Indeed, the one that has been has been moved over is uh, Amazon have 
purchased the Eddie Murphy sequel coming to America uh, to be released uh, in December. And that's the thing I'm happy about with that though is it's being released on the same day it was due to be released cinematically. So Which you're still going to get your dose of Murphy because th- this year of nostalgia that I was hoping for yeah. um, is essentially I was like, oh, okay. So of the of the I think it was like six films of nostalgic value that were being released oh, this year. I yeah. think we got three of three of them. I think we got. We still got Ghostbusters Afterlife next year. <laughs> that's March at the moment, yeah. but it wouldn't surprise me if they moved that to summer. <laughs> But um, but yes, yeah, so, I mean, uh, so with coming to America, moving moving to Amazon Prime, and that that was uh, 125 million uh, from I believe it was Paramount, and it just it, it sort of it sort of raised a bit of a question, and it's an interesting one that I wanted to kind of fire out to you guys because you are getting a lot of a lot of movies that are appearing on you know, streaming and on demand services with a premium attached to it. They they started it with kind of Trolls World Tour and Invisible Man. Uh, early in the the, the first mm. lockdown, uh, obviously Mulan is is the highest profile one so far. But you know, out of interest with you guys, what would be the film that would make you bite rather than going and taking you, you know the cinema taking in the cinema experience? What would be the film, or what would be the price point that you would you would go okay? This is the point that I'm happy to watch this film. That I'm happy to pay a premium to watch it. Is there one? I, I think that I mean, if Bond went that way, and there was no other way to see it, my issue with Mulan was was Mulan was a film which I enjoyed very much. Um, I had my cake and ate it because I didn't pay for it. I watched it at a friend's, which is obviously another thing. You know, to some people, um, you know, Mulan is a lot cheaper renting it for 19.99 that is taking the family to the cinema. Absolutely. You know, but obviously Disney have to get their return on it as well. So me seeing it around my friends <laughs> wasn't necessary. But I was completely 100% adamant against paying the premium because the last thing I wanted was another Trolls World Tour situation. Yeah. Trolls World Tour and Universal, uh, with, with their, that business model, they saw that. They were like, you know what, this is what we can do. Because it turned out that Trolls World Tour made more, I think, in its opening weekend than for the first month of the, the run of the original film. Yeah. And I think that it's it's got to a point now where it's like I didn't want want to do that so i wanted to see mulan very much but not to the point where because at the moment all eyes are on this kind of service yeah. and I, I i i i don't want to throw my hat in the ring and say you know what i will want to do this yeah. but i think when it comes to bond if there's no other way to see it i will see it i probably would have done it for tenet yeah i i think i think tenet is uh, because tenet's the the only only one of a couple of major releases that have, that have snuck out during this time that I it generally it genuinely kind of aches that I've not been able to to get to see them. But we'll kind of come on to that in a little while. Um, I, 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 for me, I don't know. I it would have to be something pretty spectacular and have to be something that would be a shared experience because I watch a lot of my films on my own and going to the cinema is actually more attainable for me paying eighteen pounds a month. You know, with my uh, cinema pass to to go and see as much so in doing that it's made film more accessible to me whereas if i'm sat at home and i wanted to watch uh bloodshot and emma and the invisible man and trolls world tour when they first came out which i would have just been able to have walked into any cinema not that i would have with some of the choices that were there i thought the invisible man was great by the way but paying between sort of 12 to 15 pounds a shot just for me to for for what is essentially a glorified rental that I'm going to see on my own, 
again it's not something it's not a model that i'm gonna get on board with unless it's going to be as part of a shared experience with other people that are watching it and it's something it's something fairly major i you know i i would even think twice about something and i i've i've enjoyed all the marvel films but something along the lines of of black widow uh which it's another one that's been kind of shunted i i enjoy a superhero film as much as the next man but again i would uh, i don't think i would be that desperate to watch it that i would fork out you know 15 quid of my own money to uh uh, to just watch one film, I, I would rather you know revisit other things or pay a, a, a smaller rental price on something that's been out for six months. I, yeah. I mean, I I would do it if I want to see a film and there's no other choice. I mean, the problem with Mulan was was what they should have done is they should have released it on that streaming service, and there were prints yeah. that existed because the premiere was the week we went into our first lockdown. There are prints that existed that could have ran the, you know ran the cinemas if people adopted to see that. Yeah. Uh, but Disney actively chose to not help cinemas. Well, they didn't ch- I'm sure they didn't do it to not help cinemas, but they actively chose to not put their film out there to play because most films that have been available on streaming have also had... Well, I'm calling them prints. They're not prints anymore. They're files. The files <laughs> that have gone out there to to the screen. So many, you know, many of the films that we've just spoken about, bar Mulan, have been films that have actually had cinematic releases as yeah, well. Absolutely. I think, yeah, it's only really sort of Trolls World Tour and, uh, and Mulan that didn't get kind of formal cinema releases there are a few there are a few more now. trolls world tours trolls world tours playing in cinemas oh, at the it? moment oh, okay uh, i i i confess i haven't uh, <laughs> i haven't looked that carefully at what trolls world tours been doing <laughs> <laughs> no you can see yeah trolls world tours playing even to the point where netflix like chicago trial of chicago 7 or that that's playing in cinemas in london and they say and i know that they're doing that for a different reason because they're doing that so they can qualify for academy Absolutely. awards so it's a different that's a different reason for it but oh, the fact is netflix, if netflix are doing that then you know hats off to them but disney have actively gone you know what we're going this way now in for a penny in for a pound they've made money from it we'll see how that goes that said though i think you're probably going to mention soul aren't you yes, the, uh, Pixar yeah, because um, that's that's the other i mean that's that's probably the largest cinema release the new pixar film is always something to get excited about and the fact that we're now getting it on christmas day as part of not paying the, the premium for it again with all of these things i'm just gutted that we won't get to experience it on the big screen because that's that's the first stop for most films it's it's where the directors intended uh, and the filmmakers intended for it to be seen but given that uh given that you know we're not in a position where we are going to be necessarily able to gather at a cinema anytime soon the fact that disney are doing this with soul which has been getting some some quite strong write-ups as well from its premiere at the the london film festival i'm really i'm yeah. really excited about it. i mean what a what a christmas day treat pre- that is be prepared to rearrange your pixar top five is what some of the reviews wow. are saying so, so. wow that would that's that's a tough yeah. one for me to swallow. Well, yeah, you know, it, it, it's uh, you know Pete Doctor's co-directing it, and he's uh, he has been responsible for. Um, oh, yeah. Don't get me wrong, yeah. I'm very excited, but <laughs> you know how much I love yeah. Toy Story. <laughs> yes, um, indeed, indeed. I, my my quick two cents about this, just because I th- thought I'd throw some money <laughs> at it. That's not, that's not legal tender um, over here. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. That's, uh the it's it it is it's a tough thing and you've brought up some really great points because the stuff that you sort of don't think about in terms of obviously 
there are local cinemas that are dealing with with stuff and they've had to go under because of all of this jazz so so it's hard to d- detach yourself from stuff like that of going well i would like it this way but then to shun the cinemas that are struggling but in terms of what would you i think if they if they changed that model that just doesn't fit how we are all living at the moment if they change the model in some sort of way that would make it an experience like for instance this is this is a ridiculous thing but say the premium was a heightened premium more than you would expect more than more than the 20 pounds um but you then got to keep the film as soon as it got released Again, I, I I would you now this is opening up a, a different can of worms for me because uh, didn't, I would... didn't Sky Cinema used to do that didn't they when you, you'd you'd buy a film in advance and then you'd get the physical disc sent to you when it uh, was released yeah mm. and that's that's the thing that I would want I would want the the physical media I would want the the, the Blu-ray version of it because I I'm again I I don't actually own any digital versions of any film uh, I just I, I find it. Um, you know there are potential rights issues because like I know anybody that had the old kind of ultraviolet digital copies of films uh, now yeah uh, the old laser well, discs well, the laser, well you're talking you've got a, a laser disc aficionado on the, the phone but I'm, I'm talking about the, um, the the digital downloads that you used to get the slip in with the with the oh Blu-ray. sure yeah um, yeah at, my my Harry Potter discs yeah, still have those and, uh, and the, <laughs> most of the services that enabled you to be able to view these digital versions these ultraviolet uh, versions of the films have now closed and so people uh, may have quite large mm. uv uh, back catalogs that can't find any of the streaming systems to be able to watch it on uh, in, an, in an ideal world they want that don't they they want the world to have basically media that can change yeah. so things can be cut out to make it more age appropriate yeah. things can, you know and this is all happening so unless you physically own a disc I mean other you know years from now they'll probably send people around and say do you own this disc marvellous can I just replace that here here's the other media and take your other one away but, do you have your DVD license <laughs> yeah I mean that, that's kind of what it is they want that the same with music as well when stuff goes out right there they want it to they, it comes off Spotify or comes off you know iTunes and all that kind of stuff I think it's just a case of of if you physically own something you bought that the way that was at that time and that's what it is you know for, for whatever reasons they want to edit it and it's usually when songs fall out of license and things like that yeah you know it's it, it's it, they'll, they'll change that but i mean what the thing disney's been doing is it's been bringing it's been like editing films they call it stealth don't they stealth yeah. editing there are films that are kind of stealthily edited uh, Netflix makes mistakes sometimes and ends up putting up like like it did recently with the Canadian televised version of Back to the Future Part Two, isn't yeah. it? On US Netflix, they received that, so they ended up did not they? having the ooh la la bit, and everyone was like, "Why is Netflix? Why is Netflix oh, taking the the ooh la la bit out? Is it because it's not age appropriate for a PG now? It's it's, been, it's gone mad." And they was like, "No, no, it turns out we accidentally put up the Canadian version." Same thing happened oh, with, with Eraser because they get stuff from all around the world, so you'll find sometimes Under Siege Two, Dark Territory, you'll get uncut stuff because simply put they've taken another territory's content and put sure. it onto the streaming server i mean you, you th- i mean we can go down a whole rabbit hole which i'm sure we will at some point <laughs> but you've got the stuff that they're they're changing like um uh, gone with the wind and the stuff that they've done with that before showing the film yeah yeah like how how do you decide what a director's vision of a film is versus what's politically correct and all of that jazz 
I mean, it's tough. I'm fine. I'm fine with the disclaimers that yeah. Disney Plus tend to do this a lot when they put down. This obviously reflects the you know there are some culturally insensitive depictions are representative of the time or something like that. A little disclaimer at the beginning, but you still get mm-hmm. the content. You don't get an edited film. I mean, that said, yeah. with Splash recently, didn't they? They um they, they digitally enhanced they Daryl Hannah's hair so it would get cover a backside because they didn't yeah. want that on Disney streaming service. <laughs> Okay, let's touch on a bit of news while we're, we're chatting. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I guess I kind of wanted to, to pick up on, in the last week or so, Netflix have released a trailer for the forthcoming uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. So it's Viola Davis and it's uh, Chadwick Boseman's final performance. And mm-hmm. uh, the thing that kind of hits me so most of all is, the, you know, the performances. Just in the, the trailer, it looks like it's going to be a real intense, dramatic, you know, I'll go as far as to say sort of Oscar-baiting maybe, just because you've mm. got Viola Davis who's fantastic and the late, pretty damn awesome Chadwick Boseman giving what looks like a real kind of passionate live wire performance because, you know, one thing that I, I kind of discovered with him uh, is that the films that I'd kind of seen him in initially were Black Panther, or 42 and, and 21 bridges were, were kind of the, the first things that introduced me to him and he was he he was quite kind of stately and he had a real air and gravitas about him and yeah after the the news of his passing filtered through i thought it was, you know it's a really kind of opportune moment to revisit some of his other work and i'd never got around to watching get on up and so oh yeah, yeah. Took, took that uh as, as kind of my movie choice for the evening and I think it accentuates what a loss he is. I, I mean, as well as you know the work that he he did and and the way he he carried himself, you know, in in real life and with that dignity. What really struck me with there is this talent that actually we're only just really kind of starting to see the beginnings of because it's such a transformative performance. I think you're right in that, in that respect. When you kind of like, there were, there's a lot of unsure. You know, we're unsure about a lot of things that are going on in the world. And when I saw that news article that morning that informed us that it died, I was like, I can't believe that. There were many things I wasn't sure about in this world, but he was a sure thing. He was the next big yeah. thing. I just recently watched The Five Bloods. Um, Twenty One Bridges is, is was good fun. Um, Message from the King was good fun. My, he, he'd such a span, and he was so needed. Yeah. And that's just literally tur- it just turned the world upside down and affected me a lot more than I would if someone had told me that that was going to happen this year. I wouldn't have thought that it would have affected me that no, much. I, I still I, I still kind of see the reports of it or, or see comment and mention of it and still quite can't quite sort of reconcile the fact that that, that it happened. I I kind of wanted to take a moment because it, obviously it happened since our last recording and as you said he was he was a sure thing he was uh he he was already a superstar but he could have gone and probably would have gone even higher than that and just you know wanted to take a moment if you've not had the opportunity to check out any of his his other work beyond kind of the Black Panther roles you know his uh, his performance in Forty Two as Jackie Robinson. It was probably the first thing that kind of brought him to 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 people's attention. And again, it's it's just a really graceful performance. In it was a very entertaining film, but it it was it was a solid, really solid three star film for me. But he elevated it, and his performance was was just so good. Kev pointed out uh, the Five Bloods. 
I mean, there's so much great going on in that film. Uh, and again, just a, a little tangential tip of the hat to Delroy Lindo, who is phenomenal in it. But again, Chadwick Boseman's just there. He's, he's that. He's got that gravity and that stateliness to him, and you you, you kind of feel the loss of of his you know his friends for the character in the film uh, has already died when the film starts and you know you, you feel that through the performance again I, I, I go back to get on up you know he becomes james brown uh, and it's it's the most sort of wild untamed brilliant performance and the fact that he didn't get a nomination for anything to any of the major awards that year is it's crazy. It just seems crazy. That's what was was good about Get On Up yeah. was Get On Up. He didn't have to worry about because they use the original James Brown recordings for the yeah. singing. So this was like usually when they make biopics like this, they'll be like, okay, you know what? We'll cast someone that can do the singing and it can do that, and tends to kind of like average out the performance a lot of the mm. time. And they get as much accolade for like you know Walk the Line or something like that. They get as much accolade for the singing as they do that. He could one hundred percent focus on the many different generations, or as it were, of um, James Brown, or the, the many different kind of incarnations of him and uh it was an exceptional performance it was the first time i saw him or i knowingly saw him because i think i saw draft day before that but i did see get on up and was like this guy is going to be amazing then he kind of fell off the radar for a little bit and he was in like gods of egypt i think and that was um obviously less said about that the better but then you're back in captain america and as soon as black panther comes in you get that that's when it kind of went up and what i noticed was is he seemed to be able to flitter from blockbuster to well not independent but lesser studio films yeah um budget wise at least um but you could also be in thought-provoking heartfelt films but you could also be in disposable action films and that's the kind of thing was is at the moment in the lack of or you know it's a diversity issue there are so many there are many great black um actors in hollywood doing their thing but at the moment it seems to be that he kisses all genres just for the fact he kisses all genres but he seems to touch down on all all genres and equally gives them as much devotion and as much care if he's in a disposable action film he'll give that as much attention and as much kind of effort as he would something that's um, you know the new Spike Lee film and that's what it was I think Moraine's Black Bottom's also got going for it I think it was based on a play wasn't it so that's that's one of those things as well where it's kind of like he's teed up for Oscars and I would be a terrible shame if I mean if, if if he goes the way of Oscars I want it to be on the fact that he probably would have got he was due it anyway yeah, I think so, so it's like that that kind of thing I've got a feeling that this would have been and hopefully we'll see it and go I think it opens in December yeah. uh, in, on Netflix yeah, we, right yeah we get it on Netflix great terrific so we've got that on Netflix in December yeah. we'll see that and we'll go you know what he would have got that anyway I don't like it a bit like Heath Ledger I don't want people to be kind of like oh well it's you know he deserves it because of X, Y and Z no performance in that he was gonna yeah. I've marked my words he would have got that yeah, anyway absolutely he would have got recognition irrespective of anything that yeah, gone on there absolutely absolutely so yeah you know I think from from all of us it's a it's a massive tip of the hat and he's he's a performer that's you know, for what feels like such a, a short, a short career, he's it's just going to be really sorely missed, and it does leave a bit of a void. And sadly, we followed this up with the recent news of the loss of Sir Sean Connery, the the quintessential James Bond. I think for most people, he is their Bond. You know, even even for us younger whippersnappers, I think uh, I think he's he's the sure. he was. He was always the benchmark, and he was always 
always the one to be and I think you know respectfully I think Daniel Craig is the, the for me the closest that's come to him but he he was all he is he will remain that high watermark for them I saw a lovely quote the other day that said like um, whereas Daniel Craig says that Bond made him yeah. um, a lot of people say that uh, Sean Connery made yes. Bond sure. I think that's sure. I think that's very very fair and yeah admittedly he sort of personally quite a, a controversial figure I think there is no denying the iconic body of work that he leaves behind and it's not just the Bond I know people go straight to Bond as the first thing I, in, in my mind I mean one of my favourite films growing up The Untouchables uh, which was his one and only Oscar win it's bizarre isn't it when you think yeah. that you, you always think of Sean Connery you probably think like multiple Oscar winner but yeah. yeah you're right it's like that it was The yeah, Untouchables as well one. Shaky accent aside, a lot of people <laughs> gave him a lot of controversy yeah, for that. Yeah. yeah, but it was certainly iconic. Was, yeah, absolutely. I, you you can't get away from you can't get away from that voice. I know, you know, whatever whatever nationality, Egyptian, Irish, Russian, he still had the same accent. But he bought <laughs> what, whatever you want to say about his accent. Uh, he had that movie star gravity to him. Again, he uh, he was very watchable. You know. Getting to see him as Henry Jones Senior in Indiana Jones: and The Last Crusade, showing showing that he sure. had great comedy chops as well, and you know, right up to right up to the the nineties with with The Rock. I mean, we, and a, a great comedic performance as well. If you think about it, alongside Nicolas yeah. Cage, who was fine. They made a great double they act, and, and I I can't see how that would have worked on paper. And I would have been very interested to have been a fly on the wall of that Absolutely. set and watching the way the mm. the notorious Michael Bay would have spoken to Sir Sean. Yeah. You know, I think there's actually some good stuff on <laughs> good stuff on the uh, DVDs, the uh, Criterion DVDs of The Rock, yeah. where you got a lot of outtakes with with him and Ed Harris as well who was kind of acting alongside yeah. him it's like yeah. that must have been quite a testosterone heavy set yeah, absolutely oh God, <laughs> my goodness yeah. I think even the walls would grow hair after a while <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah I, I, he's um, he had a a long and legendary career and he's one of the the most famous one of the most revered movie stars certainly certainly I'd say from Britain absolutely from scotland which he was you know fiercely fiercely proud of being being scottish mm-hmm. um and yeah he's probably the, the the biggest star i think they'll they'll ever produce um so yeah it's a again a tip of the hat to uh to sir sean connery yeah 90 years old he um he retired twice didn't he, he did. and yeah he he, lo- he wasn't he loved a game of golf apparently yeah. as well and uh, yeah, so he retired. I think it was the um, he came back in the end, and it was the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen yeah. caused him to retire a second time. Yeah. Uh, but he's always been there. That's the thing, though. Is that in my life, like, you're right. He's just always yeah. he's always been there, Sean. And it's that kind of thing where it's about when you get to our age now, and you kind of and and things start to happen, that you get that sense of your own mortality, yeah. don't you? You're like, oh, we now live in a world where sure. where Ian Holm's gone, and we now live in a world where Sean yeah. Connery's gone. It's, like it's, 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 and... Yeah. Okay, gra- I know, I know. granted, you can, right. you can see where my my mindset went. That I went for two thirds of the people that were named there were were from the Alien cast. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we've now come to the segment that you've all been waiting for. We are here, all three of us, ready to start our pitch battle. Oh, that was a wonderful saying that with you guys. It's very satisfying, <laughs> was, isn't it? It, it is, is, yeah. That, having the third voice, I, I think it works. Yeah. Harm, I'll, put that, I think. I'll put the harmony in. <laughs> 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 
Ooh. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you're doing the high note next time. <laughs> All right. Uh, Scott, will you uh, you have our uh, submission for today? Will you I take do. us through? Yes. So on the Monkey See, Monkey Review Facebook page, a few months ago, I asked for submissions for uh, ideas for pitch battle. Now, if you want to submit an idea for Pitch Battle, we'll give you all of our social medias at the end. But uh, this one was provided to us by a dear friend of mine, a lady by the name of Sarah Pallet. Now, thank you, Sarah. With pitch, with, yes, thank you, Sarah. So, if you've not heard Pitch Battle before, we take an actor, an item, and a film genre, and then we ourselves have five <laughs> minutes to write a pitch. Uh, to come up with a pitch for a film featuring all three of those items. Today's pitch battle. The actor is Jack Lemon. The item is a toothbrush. And the genre is a thriller. Without further ado, gentlemen, let's get your pitches ready. Okay. <laughs> I, I am, I, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> and I've, I've even managed a literary pun. Okay, gentlemen, as we have a a guest today, should we let him go first, Christopher? Yeah, sacrifice him first. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, Kev, your baptism of fire and being welcomed into the MSMR family is you are first up to prepare your pitch. Okay. All right, then. Here comes my pitch in the form of the, like a movie trailer, right? Yes, yeah. please. Okay, here we go. So, Jack Lemon, toothbrush, genre of thriller. Here we go. Meet Hank. Hi, I, I'm Hank. Hank is a toothbrush salesman. I sell toothbrushes. Uh, w- would you like one? Hank's down on his luck. I, I haven't sold a toothbrush a- a- in a month. Until one day, the tooth fairy came calling. I'm the tooth fairy, and you owe me, Hank. Now, Hank has no choice but to run. I, I, I need to get out of here now, now, before he has a brush with death. I need to sell the the toothbrush or or I'm a dead man. Hank, come here! Jack Lemon, the toothbrush. There we go. (laughs) That was amazing. Rated R. I I feel like like we... uh... Oh no, mic drop moment. (laughs) I'm sorry that my Jack Lemon impression, I was supposed to be Jack Lemon from Glengarry Glen Ross, but it sounded more like Woody Allen from any Woody Allen film. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going for for Gil from The Simpsons. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I should have just done Gil. Although I did think when you were going uh, going Jack Lemon as a salesman, I thought you were going for a, a, a Glen Gary Glen Floss. Oh, oh, very good. Very good. Yeah, very good. Thank you. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll go next because yes. I'm a good buffer. Go. <laughs> <laughs> he will see you now. Take a seat. Creak. The chair swivels. The sound of a drill. Have you been flossing? You need a new toothbrush. In here, everyone can hear you scream. What time is it? Jack Lemon in Tooth Hurdy. <laughs> tooth Hurdy, brilliant. Excellent. <laughs> oh, I, I, I haven't, I haven't got, I haven't got um, sort of voiceovers with mine. Just you've got to just imagine sort of dramatic music. I'm very excited. So okay, so. <laughs> Retired salesman Rudy must leave his quiet life behind and return to his toothbrush factory to help negotiate the release of his former colleagues held hostage by a crazed dentist. Jack Lemon in Kill 
on the floss. Ooh. Oh. Okay. All right. Okay, all right. Yeah. And, and as always, everyone, chime off in the comments below who won today's pitch battle. I think we all know who it was. Yes. <laughs> Although I think I should get kudos for including a, a George Eliot pun in there. So, okay. Fine. Fine. Yeah. You get half a point. Thank you. But uh, so, Kev, that was that was absolutely superb. Well done, sir. And you are you are not welcome back ever again. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> He's too good. He's too good. We can't have him anymore. Good. No. And so we come to our traditional closing feature for the podcast. Uh, we come to our tracks of the trade. Now, tracks of the trade. If you've never listened to the Monkey See Monkey Review podcast before, is our steadily growing Spotify playlist of great pieces of movie score music, uh, things that we and some of our listeners uh, love. So uh, what we do each time is we give our own selections for the uh, for the playlist and open it up for you to listen to at your leisure. Uh, what we'll do is we'll share the links to the podcast uh, and to the Spotify playlist when we launch the next podcast. Uh, but if you also search on Spotify for Monkey See Monkey Review and for Tracks of the Trade, you should be able to find it there. So, what we'll do is we'll go around the table and we'll pick out each of our favourite tracks. Who would like to go first today? Chris, you go first, sir. My track of the trade is from the film The Old Man and the Gun. The music is by Daniel Hart, and it is technically the second and third track on the album, part one and part two, uh, called The Diner. And it's a lovely, relaxing melody that you can relax to and listen to in your own heart's content um it's very jazzy it's uh sort of loungy it's very nice it's very relaxing and i listen to that quite frequently fabulous i've picked for and i've gone sort of appropriate again for for this episode because since we recorded our last episode the world also lost the legendary composer ennio morricone uh, and it also links to the discussion we were having earlier around the uh, the passing of Sean Connery. Uh, I've picked uh, a track from the soundtrack, the absolutely staggering soundtrack to uh, The Untouchables. I've gone for the the theme song The Untouchables, uh, which is uh, it's, it's such a, a brilliant, rousing piece of music. Uh, underscores the famous. Uh, bridge sequence at the uh, at the canadian border and it never never fails to get the goosebumps going and uh, give a big smile on your face if you've not had a chance to to check out the untouchables it is a it's a cracking 80s thriller bit of brian de palma magic uh, with connery and robert de niro and kevin costner and andy garcia it's a it's a, a cracking film and uh, you know this is just one absolutely magical track on a on an awesome awesome soundtrack um so uh, god rest you any morricone and uh yeah uh, what a body of work he leaves behind oh wonderful that's a good one i'm gonna go for uh from 1988 i'm gonna do a hans zimmer score uh and i know hans zimmer pops up quite frequently on uh, the tracks of the trade we love uh, so we, we, love, we, we, we all have hans zimmer. i tried not to do hans zimmer but i don't know how many times i'm going to be on your podcast so i want to put my zimmer to the front so it's not one of those big booming crimson tide you know style kind of hans zimmers this is back from 1988 when he did rain man 
a wonderful score um, to obviously the 1988 Dustin Hoffman, Tom Cruise film. MGM film, I think it was. Um, Yeah, this one here is called Leaving Walbrook. Now, I've got this on uh, recently, a couple of years ago, back in 2000, or a couple of years ago, a decade ago, back in 2010, they released the complete expanded score of of Rain Man. It was the first time it was available. I think it was only like 3,000 copies. But the track I'm going to choose is also available on the original soundtrack that was released with lots of singing songs and then as was traditional of 80s scores and soundtracks you have two tracks of score at the end or usually like one track which is supposed to encompass like the entire score um Mm. so what i've got is a track called leaving walbrook which is absolutely wonderful i listen to it quite frequently and it's kind of very typical of hans zimmer in the 80s but sounds you can kind of see the evolution and how he's become what he's become now um, but it's very different. You wouldn't listen to it and go, oh, that's a Hans Zimmer score. But when you know it's Hans Zimmer, it's very Hans Zimmer sounding. <laughs> if that makes sense. I don't know, but it's wonderful. I love the whole Rain Man score. I think it's one of the well, underrated score, but uh, yeah, that's one should be on Spotify because I think it was on the original soundtrack as well. Fantastic. Leaving Walbrook. That's great. Thank you very much, Kevin. Thank you. <laughs> So that brings us to the end of the latest Monkey See Monkey Review podcast. I can I, I don't know if I can speak for you, Chris, but it feels brilliant to be back. Um, it does, and yes, you yeah. can speak for me if you so wish. Fantastic, because <laughs> you, know, you know, not to dig too much into the personal things. It's been it's been a it's been a weird, difficult summer. It's been so I, lonely. It has, and uh, you know, it's difficult. For us to, with with work and with commitments, to, to often get together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to be able to, to come back together and to, to do this is always a pleasure. Um, and so we hope you've enjoyed it. I really want to say a massive thank you to Kevin uh, for joining us today. And we hope to have you back on many, many more occasions. Thank you for, thank you for having me, chaps. It's been, it's been wonderful. Oh. I've really enjoyed it. It's flown by. Yes, it, it, really, it really has. It's been uh, a pleasure. So yeah, I, I mean, I could I could happily talk for another hour or so, but um, all it leaves me to do is uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you, dear listener, to do a few things for us now. Uh, if you know of a friend that likes movies and uh, likes listening to people talking about movies, because that's kind of our thing. And if you don't like if you don't like movies, we hope you like us. Um, <laughs> that, uh, that if you can recommend this podcast to them, uh, if you're listening to us via the apple uh, podcasts app please if you get the opportunity leave us a review preferably a positive one because uh, the way the algorithm works is the more reviews we get the more people get to find out about us and the more people will listen and the more chance we've got of carrying on doing this yeah um, so if so, you have uh, any if you have any ear holes that you would w- want us to be talking into <laughs> uh send them us Yes. Um, we've also beefed up our presence across social media. Um, so as well as the Monkey See Monkey Review Facebook page, uh, which you just need to search for Monkey See Monkey Review on Facebook and ask to join. We also have the Monkey See Monkey Review uh, Instagram page, uh, which is, uh, again, search for Monkey See Monkey Review. Uh, we're also on Twitter on at MSMRPod. And we also have an email. So if you ever want to just drop us a line via email, you are more than welcome. The email address is uh, msmrpod at gmail.com. And we would love to hear from you. Love to get feedback. uh, Because we absolutely love doing this. And we really appreciate uh, your ears listening to us. We do. Um, So 
on that note, uh, we hope to welcome Kev back soon. We hope to be back with some more films and more surprises at some point. But uh, on behalf of myself, thank you again for listening. And uh, we look forward to speaking down your ear rolls again very soon. Yay. Goodbye. Cheerio. Bye-bye.